Yeah, welcome uh, everyone in listener land. If you're watching, great. If you're listening, hope your commute or bicycle ride or your exercise mm -hmm. is doing good. My name is Conrad Anker, and I'm from Montana. I'm a mountain climber. And today is the 26th of September, 2003. And you'll be listening to this after the fact, but today is the one-year anniversary of Hillary Nelson and her, Hillary Janet Nelson and her passing on Manaslu last year on this day. So we'll um, recognize you, Hillary, and we also, all of our other friends and family that have been lost to the mountains. But um, yeah, Hills, you're a wonderful person and we love you and this is our way of saying hello and sharing your goodness. So, but in a circular way, I'm uh, here with the podcast, and I'm going to introduce uh, Mima Gelgen Sherva from Rawaling, uh, and uh, Pasantendi from Karakola. Hello, uh, this is me, Pasantendi Sherpa. I'm a mountain guide and instructor from Nepal, and I'm a Himalayan athlete, and I'm 35 years old now, and I'm actively guiding on 8,000 meters mountain, and uh, thank you, and so... This is Mingma Ji. Hello, I'm Mingma Ji. Born and raised at the altitude of 4,200 meters in Rollwalling Valley. And I've been climbing since 2006. And so far I've climbed uh, 13 of the 14,000 meter peaks, including the winter, uh, first winter K2 ascent. And today, very happy to be a part of Himali podcast and sharing the frame with a uh, legendary climber, Karnat Dai. Thank you, Dai. No, thank you. Yeah, so yeah. it's great being here with everyone. Yeah. So yes, both yeah. these uh, gentlemen are just coming back. Mm -hmm. uh, Ming Ma Ji. Um, so, I mean, you look totally normal and fine, but like <laughs> 48 hours ago, you were on the summit of Manaslu. Yeah, right. I was, I was on the summit on 22nd September at 9 a.m. in the morning. And it was, this was my like uh, sixth time on Manaslu, but... My second time on Monoslu Main Summit. So in 2021, we uh, opened a new route on Monoslu, what we call like a roll walling diversion. Yep. And I was using auction that time. Since I was doing like all, I'm doing all 14 pick without auctions. So as part of that, I went back on Monoslu this year to complete it without auctions. Nice. Yeah. So I, I, I just flew back. From base camp to um, Kathmandu, and you see my lips is still all wounded. Yeah, <laughs> winded and yeah, it's all frozen actually. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, mm. you're um, you look incredibly strong. So mm. um, yeah, it kind of it's interesting because it was in 2021 that the Rawaling variation to the summit of Manaslu, because everyone kind of went and they're like, well, it looks too difficult to go up to the top, and right. now you have to go to the summit. So, I mean, it's a route if you go to like some high point and then lower off, but if right. you go to the summit, then that's a peak. And so, um, yeah, it's uh, good that you were working on that uh, in, in 2021 and that you came back this year and finished it up. Yeah, so right. after we have our uh, fine conversation here, you're taking off again. Yeah. And off to uh, Shisha Pangma. So I just remain Shishapoma, but uh, I'll be leading a team on Choyu as well. Oh, okay. So I'm leaving to Tibet tomorrow. 
I'll fly to the uh, borderline between China and Nepal. Then from there, we're gonna drive all the way to Beskem. And hopefully, we're gonna finish uh, show you by this week. And by next week, we're gonna finish Shishawama as well. Because all my team, they are acclimatized, well acclimatized, and they're ready to push summit only. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So well, let's see. That's pretty good. And um, with us, Pasang Tendi from uh, Kerikola. And were, were you just on the mountains too? or uh, October 6th, I will, uh, I'm planning to go Labuja Peak first. Then November 1st, I will go uh, Tulu Forest Peak. Then uh, second week of uh, November, I will go Kajuri Peak. That's oh, my nice. plan. Yeah. Yeah. So Pasang Tendi is a... Um, instructor and a longtime participant of the Kumbu Climbing Center and um, these are mountains that are in there and it's, um, it's something that is close to my heart that I, I always appreciate what the Kumbu Climbing Center does and to see graduates out there um, helping other people achieve their goals and being in the mountains and, and things like that. So to fill in a little backstory here the Kumbu Climbing Center is now coming up on 20 years of anniversary and um, it was a, an idea with uh, my wife, Jennifer Lowe Anchor, and Panuru, and a couple others. It was mostly from 1999 when I worked on the um, Mallory and Irvine expedition to the north side of Everest. And wow. so that team was from Fort Say. And uh, Jenny and I were trekking 2002, and we were, um, after each day of trekking, we'd go climbing, and, and then all. The whole, by the time, like everyone wanted to hike fast, and then everyone wanted to go climbing afterwards. So, the, from the cooks to to our um, our lead Sherpa guide and yeah. and, and the uh, the porters came along with it. So it was a there's um it's kind of if you enjoy climbing and you love climbing, you will be a safer climber. And there's this shift now that I see with both of you, um, Mingmaji, you're 37, Pasantendi, you're 35, and now. You're probably two, three generations into working in the mountains, and that rather than being just about work and a paycheck and mm -hmm. doing what other people are doing, that you're climbing because you love to climb. And in Mingmaji, your case here, looking to climb the 14 peaks without supplemental oxygen, really focusing in on a goal with that. And um, so, as a question to you, the, the, are there more? Sherpa and more Nepali that want to climb because it's fun and they want to go out on their own, or is it still mostly work and profession based? Like uh, previously, it was like only for profession, only for like earning money, but now it's a bit changing, you know, because <clears throat> now Sherpa, like the new generation of Sherpa, they are understanding this thing like people get name and both name, fame, money, everything after, once you get, uh, like, uh, once you do something extra, yeah. ordinary things, uh, once you make, like, some extra climbing, like, um, what you say, like, solo climbing or something, climbing new, new routes, yeah, like, alpine climbing, yeah. if, if they, they do, it like, something big, <clears throat> they get both name, fame, and <clears throat> later on, they get the chance to earn money, right? So now, this new generation of Sherpa, they understanding these things, so now they prefer guiding for guiding for earning, but they also do this kind of activities to make themselves like uh, in the in the pub in the media, so they get they can earn some extra for their livelihood, right? And now the younger generations of uh, climbers from the Sherpa community they want to get like uh, 
retire early early in, in the early age like we have some climbers like let's let's take a, 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 a example of uh, kamirita who has done it 28 times we have a pada washerpa who has done like 27 times they have been like working only for the money when when they started right and <coughs> they still are they still are working now they they saw the name and fame yep <coughs> they are working continually but like uh, like for our generations we just okay so we have certain time only so okay i'm going to work in this field for like 10 years 15 years then I, i'm going to retire but within this 10 years i'm going to do these things within this 15 years i'm going to do these these things we have that kind of planning yep. but the old, older generation one they just they just to work only for the money so it's like big change now yeah it's a fundamental change within that so both of you are ifmga mountain guides which is the highest standard there is for mountain guiding and they're now in nepal there's 73 mountain guides that are IFMGA uh, certified. So share with us what the process, how long it took uh, you to do that, and what the classes are like, and how the instruction is here in Nepal. Uh, as a mountain guide, to be a mountain guide in Nepal now, uh, there's a, if somebody wants to be a mountain guide, the process is not uh, hard. Because many years ago back, it's really hard to do to be a mountain guide because to be a mountain guide, we have to take a course from Europe. But the moment, the, all the courses organized by Nepal Mountain Guide Association and the Nepal Mountaineer Instructor Association. That's wonderful because even if it is expensive <coughs> in Nepal, it would be more expensive in Europe because you have to live over there. And then there's the language hurdle. So here, the the classes are being taught in Nepali. The testing is done in Nepali. So it's really good. And it's um, congratulations to all of the all of you that have worked on that and <coughs> elevating the um, the professionalism of guiding um, along those lines. So Mingmaji, on to you here. Your goal is to climb the 14 peaks without supplemental oxygen. Yeah, so <laughs> where are we at with it? Uh, actually, look, <clears throat> I used to climb all the peaks uh, with the auction when I started. When I started like, uh, my career in 2006, at the time, like, uh, auction were taken like very expensive thing, you know. Yeah. I'm still young, but like I started in 2006, and we were given the job to take all all the equipment, auction, auction for the clients, like on the north face of the Everest. So the last game is at 8,300 meters, yep. right? So we used to carry like seven, eight bottles. I have carried like 10 bottles at at the time. So that was all the way to 8,300 meters without auctions. So from there, I got myself like kind of in, inspirations. <laughs> and like most of the 8,000 meter peaks, they are lower like 8,200 yeah. meters, right? So the sixth size mountain is uh, Choyu, which is like 8,201. Yep. And the rest of, and I used to carry like 10 bottle of auctions without, without uh, like uh, having auction for myself. I used to carry, carry 10 bottles and I used to drop the auction, 10 bottle of auction at uh, 8,300 meters on Everest. So from there, I, I felt like the rest of the 8,000 are easier for me to climb without. Yeah. Then, yeah. <laughs> then my, yeah, my, on my first summit on Everest, I just used only one bottle. Then I had like many of the 8,000 meter peaks, which are all without auctions. Then 
later on like uh, when i started <coughs> when i started it, it was kind of like interest for me because my grandfather he was used to work as a porter and used to take the trees over the tassel was a pass there's like a valley there's like a pass between go, going yeah Kumbu. going from rollwalling to kumbu kumbu valley and my uh, grandfather used to work as a porter you know yep. and my father did the same and later on my father got the opportunity to work as a local guide to the tourists and used to climb as a as a porter and as a as a like local guide on like 6000 7000 meter peaks with the tourists then like this to talk lots of thing like every 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 day we had a conversation at home like uh, different stories from different mountain so i had always like kind of like interest to join at least one exp- expeditions then i went to manasulu with my uncle In 2006 i finished my school then i had like 3 month 3 months holiday and i had nothing to nothing to do and it was like um, spring time you know like spring season just started and there was huge demand of sherpas you know and my uncles like <coughs> he had a big team on manasulu and it was not necessary for him to have like good training good trained uh, guides because it was it was it was a, a cleaning expedition expeditions so we we just had to go and clean the rubbish only yeah and fortunately like i was like physically very strong and i learned some good techniques from uh, some of my colleague on the exped- expeditions and i was able to reach like uh, 6400 meters and then from there i i started developing little interest in expeditions then after that i continue climbing then gradually i met this as professions and when i met my professions when when i met this as my professions i saw like mm, there are no any nepalese we have done like 14 big without auctions then i started okay making planning i started planning for myself yep. i didn't have any godfather in this field so <coughs> i had to start everything for, for myself like Climbing in Nepal was still okay. Like climbing in Tibet and climbing in <coughs> Pakistan was a big task for us. Yep. So in 2013, when I finished Kanchanjunga, uh, I did it without auctions. Then I had a uh, client from Iran called like Mr. Reza Sahili. So he was interested in going K2, you know. And I said like, okay, I'll go with with you on K2 and. I'll I'll work free for you. Yeah. That was that, that was that's what what I told. But your trade off. Yeah, yeah. Because I I really needed to go to Ketu that at the time because Ketu was like taken so big name at the time. Yep. So I just. What year was that? It was in 2014. That, that was the year when uh, three Nepalese women climbed oh, yeah. climbed Ketu. That oh, yeah. was the yeah first time first time from Nepal that uh, Nepalese women climbed Ketu. Yeah, Maya Basanglam. Yeah, Maya Basanglam and Dayong Jim right. Yeah. So <clears throat> here for money actually and then after that I got like two other interested client and uh, I started organizing myself as well. <laughs> so I had like three clients and I was like doing every, everything for them. Like they had like uh, three three bottle auction each like nine bottle auctions and I was like uh, climbing without. So I carried like nine bo- <clears throat> nine bottle auction to camp last camp like camp four with tin with food. I was the only one in the team. getting everything and on a summer day i was like without auctions and i was still carrying like six photo auction for my three clients so there was a uh, client from iran mr mr reza there was client from turkey 
uh, Adin, there was a client from Macedonia, Mr. Dropko, and they were like having three bottles each. And they were having one bottle in the inner bag and the rest two bottles I was carrying for them. So it was like six bottles in my bag and I was uh, climbing without auctions. Did they give you a good tip? Yeah, it was, it, <laughs> I think the sum, the kid was more there. important for me that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kid but what, how much, what does one uh, bottle of oxygen weigh? It's almost like three and a half kg. Yeah. So, yeah, for that's 35 kg plus your pack. So, you're yeah. probably around 40 kg to get 10 bottles up there. So, that's a, a huge load. Yeah, it, so, it, was, it was huge. Yeah. Only thing was that I, I, I need to. Finish K2 without auctions, and I also need to climb K2. Yeah, it's for my own like yeah. own my career as well, right? That was a good move. Yeah, yeah. that that was that was that was the the uh, exhibition that changed my life actually, wow. and after that I started uh, organizing continuously in Pakistan. Yeah, oh good. Well, that's a wonderful. Yeah, and here we are. So uh, fingers crossed. Um, I mean, I think by the time this podcast lands, we'll know whether you made the summits. But um, here's to that. And here's to our uh, our, our friend and, and your family, uh, Dawa yeah. Youngsum, who, if she finishes uh, Choyu and she's upon where she was the first Nepali woman to climb the 14 peaks. So right. that, um, yeah, <laughs> that's good to see um, all of that, that connection in there with that. So a couple um, to pivot over to Mount Everest. Um, were you both working on the mountain last year on, on Everest? Yeah, I was, I was there. Yeah, and so it was the highest amount of fatalities any year. That's I true. think they had sold the most amount of permits. Right. And a lot of people there, a new level of luxury. Right. Um, and this is uh, Himalayan fixed rope climbing on the 14 peaks, and it's a, its own branch of climbing experience and to accept it as that and if you don't want right. to climb those don't go on those routes but they're there and there's a service that's provided by the nepali sherpa climbers that make it easy or make it less effort for people without mountain experience to get up on the mountains um, but do you think that the the 400 plus permits they sold is that do they need to sell more? Do they need to sell yes, less? Or is that right at the, um, was it a, a good amount of, of permits to be issuing for the mountain? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good thing for like uh, Nepalese people because we get more job. It's good for government because they get like more money from the permits, right? But yeah, on the, on the mountain, it's not, not that good because we have like more people, it means like more rubbish, more, uh, more damages, yeah. right? But for the country and for the economy of the country, it's, it's good. Yeah, it's a flywheel for the rest of the economy. Right. I mean, mm. Everest affects trekking business and everything with that. Right. And so, yeah, there's still... The beautiful thing about Everest is there is only one Everest, so... Yeah, this is the highest one, so people are attracted, right? Yeah, yeah. they're going to... And it's... um, But there's... When I started climbing, the mountain was like, did you have the skills to get up there? And that would sort of choose if you were an expert or not. And then now it's in a, a monetary sense. So if you pay the money, you have the permit. Or the permit could be a lottery, which is random. Just anyone gets it. Or some combination of all three of those might um, work out on that. But it would be neat to see the people that want to climb Everest, that they do two expeditions in Nepal before 
they go on Everest. So um, the tourism department was a little bit worried that it would close up the business. But because it's Everest, my own view is that the people would still come. And then if they had to spend two times in Nepal before they went there, they would be better trained. They would be a safer mountain with that. But it would also increase the amount of employment for people in Nepal. Right. That's true, yeah. When, the, when there are like more people, we, uh, we get more job. It's not only like the only, not only the shepherd guides, but when the tourists land at the airport, the taxi driver, after the hotel, from there the air, oh, yeah. airlines, from there the porters, and the what uh, and the lodges on the way, and all the all the all the public on the, on the way they get they get job they get money. Yeah, it's a good thing. But yeah, I think there should be like certain rules on Everest. There shouldn't be that much that much permits. It's okay to give much more permits, but uh, we should have like some kind of system where we can control the death, where we can control the rubbish, where we can control all the human waste, right? Yep. I think there should be like certain rules which we are lacking still. Yeah, the foundation of that might be a carrying capacity study. So yeah, right. on Denali, which is the high point of North America, 6,201 meters, they limit it to 1,400 climbers in one season the season goes from april to july and it's six thousand meters but you have to carry everything yourself and but they have a limit on that and if there was a carrying capacity study that was done by either truvan university or Kathmandu university to understand the impact of the climbers um how much they use helicopters human waste the safety aspect of it that um there but one of the the beautiful things that being here in Nepal and seeing that the guiding business on the big peaks is owned and run by Nepalis. And, and 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. Right. And it was guys like myself that would show up and we'd work yeah. for a company. And, and, but now it's far more equitable and Nepali companies are taking the lead on that. And from my own standpoint, it happened quicker than I anticipated. I didn't think it was going to move that quickly. And um, it's a reflection of um, of all of you as mountain guides and people wanting to come out there and and uh, and learn to climb with you. Yeah, everything, everything what we are doing now, we learn everything from like the Western companies like Russell Bryce, IMG, Advanced yep. uh, Consultant. We learn everything from them. Yep. Yeah. So and now we are, we are Actually, kind of doing kind of competitions. We are competing with them in giving like better service. Yeah, and yeah. Personally, like I run a company called Imagine Nepal, uh, and I have limit on on my expectations. It's not like uh, some of the companies who, who who take as much as client they get, but I have a limit, and I have my like uh, I do I don't do any press competitions, which lots of uh, our Nepalese company are doing now. And that's the reason the increased number of climbers on, on mountain and more fatality, uh, like more yep. deaths. So, oh yeah, unfortunately, I had uh, th- uh, three Sherpa died on Everest this year while mm, fixing the rope because it was, it was like, it was, I would say it was like more natural because they, they were just crushing in the Kumbu ice ball and the big block of ice just uh, fell down and collapsed yep. uh, on them. 
so they they died over there. But, but also, like, yeah. more Nepalese and Sherpa climbing die in the ice fall than they do on summit day. Right. And the summit day is is the is are the are the the visitors, the people that buy a permit, and they're like, oh, I'm going to make it to the summit, and then the battery runs out and they and they perish. But in but yeah, exposure and time that in the ice fall, and that's right. A, it's a that yeah, it must have been really difficult for you with three people. That's yeah. that's yeah, that's very, that was very difficult moment. Yeah, they're, they're, um, yeah, rest in, uh, but that was, um, to circle back to, um, imagine Nepal. So mm. if anyone out here listening wants to go climbing with either Basang or Ming Maji, that, yeah. um, yeah, you can come visit Nepal. And, you know, our conversation was that when you're here and you're climbing, it's a great way to bring, something to the local economy and right. so yeah we understand there's a, a lot of money is in the western and not just western europe and north america but also in singapore and beijing and that when that money comes here and they people spend it to go climbing that money doesn't leave the country so it's always um that the multiplier effect and that everest is unique there is only one everest that is it is Nepal's greatest resource right. um, because there is no oil in the ground here. <laughs> yeah. It's so mountainous you can't travel easily. And yeah. part of the reason why Nepal was never a colony because you can't come here. And But that's the strength and it's reflected right. in the people there. So, But yeah, if you're out here listening and um, yeah, imagine Nepal, I'll get you up there at an 8,000 meter peak. Yeah, <laughs> <for sure. laughs> but yeah there's you... you from my standpoint as a climber, you haven't lived life until you've seen sunrise above 8,000 meters, but right. <laughs> that's not for everyone on there. So I climbed Everest for the first time, May 17, 1999, from north side. Oh, sorry, right. And there wasn't fixed rope. There wasn't – the ladder was there on the second step, but it was kind of a, a wild experience. Came back 2007, also climbed it from the – north side and then 2012 climbed it nepali side south side oh. and but 2012 was a really difficult year because we had a short window there was oh. four days of good climbing weather within that and when you have that um two years ago there was two weeks of good weather on everest and the jet stream didn't come down and the winds weren't blowing and people were able to to have a good summit on that but the um the there's more to everest than what People see the, the the piles of rubbish and the oxygen cylinders and the the crowding on that. And in a sense, that figuring out how many people can go up on a summit day, um, eventually, I mean, they're, to go from the South Pole to the summit, you could put so many people on there, it would be like the traffic jam here in Tamil sometimes when it just... It stops, and you have to like work through it. And those traffic jams are happening up there. And so, from your standpoint, what would you suggest to the guide companies, the government of Nepal, the clients, the guides? What would, how would you make that a that? What would you do to work out a better solution to the overcrowding? Uh, in in the average from my side, so when we issue the permit. From Nepal government and I, I really love to say and suggest to the government please give the numbers supposed to this 
2024 it will be start from the one give the one two three give the number and just uh, they make a first window supposed to give the client permit number like it's supposed to one two the 30 number of the permit they can add him a first window okay and then after 30 to 60 they can add him a second window and uh, we can divide the when we issue the permit because when we issue the permit there's take a loss of the 500 400 to 500 permit issue in a year it's a big mess on the mountain and for this is a professionally is if the nepal government want to organizing is the permit number wise because all the staffs and all the uh, logistics are managed by systematically a by uh, day by day mm -hmm. and it uh, because of that way only one that way we can uh, solution supposed to we can uh, uh, increase the numbers uh, let's say is uh, 30 is just the example but it's gonna be divided uh, some windows like other than that is uh, there is uh, some windows and uh, some is really difficult to organize uh, of course it is 8000 meter but it is a uh, possible yeah, well, that's yeah. a good idea. So the yeah. the first sixty people, if you pay for your permit two years in advance, you have first win weather window. Window, of, yeah. of course, yes. Because they sell them all the way up until April or May, and so. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, because uh, other than that, because when the people in the best camp is the uh, everybody wants to add him a first or second window, right? And for this, if we, from the government level, if we can bring a one very advanced systems yep. to minimize for this, of course it works. And all the people, all the client keep the mind that uh, systems, then after, even for the company and the, for the guide also to make a decision is a very easy way. Other than that, as a guide in my experience, that group did a summit last week and why we are behind. That group are this. Why where is so many questions come on as a guide? To, if uh, our government make a rules in that way, and because all the questions are giving the answer by rules, is more easy as a guiding. That's a good insight onto that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, my suggestion to our Nepalese government <coughs> government was that like, okay, if if somebody is coming for Everest, okay. He's coming next year for Everest. Let him come at least one eight thousand meter peaks this year. Yep. That will help uh, the climber to know the environment of eight thousand meter, get more trainings, right? Yep. And now on, on Everest, yep. like yeah, every everyone feel like Everest is easy, you know, yeah. because Everest is easy, and this is the tallest one, and every everyone is attracted because Everest is the only one which is the tallest one, right? So everyone is attracted to that. For climbing Everest, if you have some like good experience, like about six thousand meter peaks, then seven thousand, then eight thousand, then you get well trained, you know. Yeah. Then like on the summit day or or rest of the day, when you are uh, going on Everest, you can go easily and you can come down easily because yeah. you are well trained already. But what we see at the uh, what we see on the mountain at the moment, there are lots of people who even don't know how to use the blade device. Yeah. How to use the humor, you know? Yeah. That's making the traffic, yeah. actually. And yeah, they're they, the ones yeah. they get into trouble. Yeah, they're, they're the one who, who makes the trouble to yeah. others. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And there are lots of people who are 
very slow and we, we cannot we cannot do this, this these things and they get stuck there yep. and the rest of the people behind him or front of above him get stuck because yep. because of that that and lots of people get out of auctions run ran out of yep. auctions and many did happen because of that you yep. know so we had like a few suggestions to our Nepalese Nepalese government but it's not taken seriously so yeah there, there yeah. should be a few more my own You're personal right. story i started climbing when i was 14 and i went to mount rainier then i went to alaska then i i climbed in the himalayas for 11 years with 6000 meter peaks 7000 meter peaks before i went to everest for the first time and i it was like oh i'm not i'm not good enough i have right. to like climb more and more and now we have people that it's their first climb they're 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 going to go out there. They're going to go climb these peaks. Yeah. And, and in that sense, that yeah, the Nepal government's like, you need to climb a peak, not Amada Blom, because yeah. everyone's there, and yeah. move them away. But go climb another peak in the Rowali and climb to six, 7,000 meters and learn to work with the Nepali people, understand how Sherpas work on the mountain, learn to That's appreciate yeah. Dalbat. <laughs> yeah. And then become part of it. They, people come in and they, they get the summit and then... They just take. They're like, I'm the hero, and I put my, this is my, I, I made it to the top, and now I'm going to go home with that prize, but they need yeah. to give something back. And because they're taking the the essence of what Nepal is, the mountains and Mount Everest, and they're taking it um, out with them. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty difficult to deal with these things, yeah. <clears throat> yeah there, there was one picture taken, I'm not sure, um, it was picture from 2019 or 12. I'm not yeah. sure. There was a guy who had a helmet under opposite directions Ugh. and with with the harness. It was it was on op opposite directions and he had like yeah. a quick draw on that. <laughs> I'm not sure why quick draw is needed for yeah. Everest for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. These are uh, yeah. We should. Uh, they make memes out of those things. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so they're yeah. But that's an example of it. And yeah, when I was there in 2012. Um, there was a Nepali Canadian woman, and I saw her coming out of the top by Camp One, coming up and late in the day, and just. I met I met her there in Hilary Step. Yeah. And you know we don't have that big in big rock we were now. There. Yeah, yeah. But it, it was there. It in was still there. Yeah. Yes, she was trying to climb that. I think she fell four times, and yeah. at the end her Sherpa dragged drag yeah. her up on the rock. But she was like climbing up, falling down, climbing up, falling down, climbing up, falling uh, down. Yeah. If if it, she had like good, good training and if she had like yeah. um, good experience from or the seven thousand meter peaks, I think she could have survived. She could have easily climbed climbed that big rock. Yeah, I think she she lost lots of her energy there. Oh, she! I met her in the ice wall, yeah. and I, I I was, she wasn't wearing gloves. She didn't have sunglasses on. It was late oh. in the day and. The poor Sherpa that was working with her was just, he was like, I don't want to be here because it was just incredibly slow. And so I asked her, how long have you been in the ice fall? And, and I was like, yeah, if you can't move through the ice fall in four hours or six hours, what's, I, I forget the times on ice fall going, but she was double the ice fall going time. And it was, um, yeah, and then because we were both on the mountain that mm, year and yeah. she passed away. A day or two before I did, and it was, um, yeah, using 
nine cylinders of nine bottles of oxygen and putting a lot of people at risk. And right. she, it was her first expedition. So she learned how to use crampons there. And yeah. it, um, and we, you know, the mountains are a free place. We can go do any climb you want, but when you have easy access with fixed rope, Sherpa support, yeah. staff, oxygen like that, you can get into trouble really easy. If you go climb Gayon Chengkang, just next door is 7,900 meters, and no one goes there. Right. There's no fixed rope. You're going right. to be climbing. Right. And you, you're going to figure out, the mountain will tell you what you can climb. But on Everest, the people get up, and now all of a sudden they're above balcony, and they give up. And so then they're a liability. And so the video that came out from last year with um, they were carrying. Carrying? Yeah. I mean, just... <laughs> You know, people yeah. they send these to me they're like is this real and i'm like yeah this is real this, this is this yeah, is yeah. and it's nepali sherpa people that are working mm. working on these jobs has the overall skill level of people working on the mountain has it increased and are they up to date with current equipment is there equality between western and visiting climbers and the people that work on the mountain yes it's lots changed now no, when I started, I had nothing, no training, nothing. And actually, I was stuck on Loche South Face, where I, st I started feeling that I should have some training. <laughs> yeah, That's a pretty big climb, yeah. everyone. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> so mm. then since 2010, I, I started uh, taking training from like, I started with uh, uh, Nepal Modern Associations. Then after that, I had the hunger of being the IFMJ guide. And then in 2012, I started uh, taking training for uh, like courses for courses to be prepared for the IFMJ entrance. So in 2012, I finally um, got the got the entrance level cap uh, capability. Yep. Because uh, they are they are like a two different way to enter IPMJ guides in Nepal. So one is through the training and another is uh, through the background of the yep. expeditions. So I, I enter uh, with the background of the expeditions. Yep. So I had like 5,000 meter peaks, 7,000 meter peaks, 6,000 meter peaks. So I entered, entered with from there. But I still, I had some training, but I was like, I didn't knew almost like everything. I didn't, I didn't, knew, I didn't knew anything at yep. all. When I was in the training, um, my team members they were like uh, we were like five from five five from the exhibition uh, category and five from the training and the, the, those who came from the training they knew everything like with with the, with the rope techniques yep. rescue techniques medicines first aid like we we were like just looking at at them and staring at them we had we had, okay we we were like carrying carrying lot we still we we had the knowledge of like okay. Putting putting the snow bars, okay, uh, using the ice glue, but not not a proper rope, yeah. uh, not a proper knot on, yeah. on those things, and we realized that those were like very risky. Mm -hmm. When as when when we did we did that, then I finished my aspirant guide course, and I had I had like I felt like I had enough knowledge to go for like any like uh, alpine climbing then after that i did like some really good climbing like uh, I, i'm i'm not sure if you know bomungo that's just above the na mm -hmm. one of the best climbing 
we did all alpine all the way to summit and i did a uh, tobuji uh this that's just in front of the now above the lake yeah it's very sharp warm and nobody did uh nobody made a climb uh, on that face so i did i did that on on my own on solo, solo yeah. yeah that's good so yeah then <coughs> I still tell my my all my colleagues all my staffs you need you need to have training and now my all my staff they're they're tra- taking training and uh, I have been organizing like winter ice climbing course rock uh, rock climbing course for my staffs and now now they are trained and they feel like most of my staff they are like of forty five years fifty years and they say like we are learning now yeah what we did we did. And we are like we were lucky. We we are still alive. And now now the training level is like increasing a lot. And now every individual who are coming in this field, they are taking training. Yeah. And I see like uh, from uh, Kumbu area, KCC has KCC has uh, big contributions. All the guys from Kumbu area, they have like a, a good level of ice ice climbing tra- uh, yeah. training, and. The, I see. I see. Like uh, last last time I was on K two, I saw like, I saw um, the old. <coughs> they are they are not old. Like uh, I, I forgot the guy from Porte. They were, I thought like <coughs> they were of old generation, but they said like uh, we took training from KCC. Oh, yeah. I felt like wow, you got, because they move like they made a route under the ice. It was like so amazing routes on K two, and we we're climbing from the Sejin routes. So I said, "Oh, I thought like not bad." Yeah, they would no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was really good. And now we have like KCC, NNMGA, and um, NNIA. So these uh, these are some of the like organizations which are giving lots of training to the climbers in Nepal. And now we we have kind of like competitions in the market. Who performs better? Like, I'm from rollerwalking area. And he's from like Karikola, yeah. so we have competition kind kind of competition between us, like who <laughs> makes better way, yeah. yeah, who has like more techniques on the yeah. mountain. Yeah, there you go, you moving know? moving it up. Yeah. So, what would you think if every expedition at Everest Base Camp had to have one UAGM guide, one IFMGA guide that was part of that team? We, we still don't have that system. But if it, but you don't have, yeah. There's 73 guides, but if there was 40 expeditions, there could be. I mean, one IFMGA guide for the team will make everyone else safer, and then it would more climbers would want. They say, if I want to get ahead, I'm going to become an IFMGA guide, like the two of you are. So, yeah, there are lots of Sherpa who wants to be IFMGA guides, and we have lots of clients who prefer to have an IFMGA guide as their guide. But uh, unfortunately, we just have like uh, I think almost eighty at the moment, and that's not enough because we have yeah. lots of modern. Yeah. It's not only Everest. We have like eight of the fourteen peaks in Nepal, and not not only that, we have seven thousand meter peaks, six thousand yeah. meter peaks, and most of our FMZ guides in Nepal now, the younger generation one. They don't prefer going K- uh, Everest. They prefer going like six thousand meter peaks. Yep. There they get more money because it's it's like one week or four days or three days. Yeah. And they get paid well, and they get more job there. Everest is it's, it's gonna take like forty five days. Yep. And 
Mr. Everest, the they, the can, they can do yeah. like a, a 10, 6,000 meter yeah. peaks and yeah. they aren't are double up Everest. Yeah. You know? There we go. Yeah. It's a transition. So, so. the younger generation, I've had the guy in Nepal, they prefer going 6,000 meter yeah. peaks and like uh, those peaks where they get like more money than Everest. Because Everest, Everest, you need to carry everything, you know. You need to carry for your clients. You need to carry yeah. for yourself. And it's too much physical work. Yep. On 6,000 meter peaks, you don't need to. You just carry with a light backpack. And the, now the guys, they just, the young guy, they just want to be like handsome, you know, <laughs> tip top yeah. uh, in front of the clients, in yeah. front of like good girls. And, and <laughs> like you know, so well, it's that, different. Question for you, Ming Machi is climbing Everest without supplemental oxygen, how different is that from then using the regular oxygen? Um, I did only once without oxygen on Everest. That was in 2021. I did total number of like six six summits on Everest. And my first was in 2007. I was, I didn't have any knowledge of, about oxygen at that time. Like how to use auctions, how to fit the foot the regulators, how to, at what uh, pressure, you, what bar you should take auction at what level. I, I was not known that. I was just given a client. I just took the clients and we went to summits. I had a French French guy as 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 my clients, Mr. Bruno. I still remember his name, and we had auction from Camp Three, from eight thousand three hundred meters, and we had a Sherpa a Sherpa leader in the in the team, and at like eight thousand five hundred meters around that, uh, our auction we, they they helped us change change the auction bottle, and later on that, I didn't have any knowledge. The rest of the team, they got back without summits because it was cold nights. And my team, my member and I continued because that was my first summit chance. I could grab it. And that was the first summit chance for my French guy because it, it, it was a, a group program, not, not individual. So he wanted to make summits. I wanted to make summits, but we both didn't have knowledge about auctions. So we went all the way to the summit. We didn't know what, what time we finished the auctions, you know. On the way down, we came, <coughs> we came all the way to uh, Camp 3. Till we reached Camp 3, we didn't know. Then when we reached Camp 3, then there were like other Sherpa waiting for us. And they said like, both of your auctions are empty. You, you, didn't have, you didn't have any auctions. <laughs> My first experience on auctions, you know. Then... I started getting good, little bit like experience from like using auction from 2009 only on Everest again from the south side. Then I realized that using auction is a bit comfort to the body. You can walk uh, easier. There is not, not like a kind of like pain on your knee. You can step easier in, in, in an easy way. You can do most of the activities easily. But when you when you are without auctions, it's it's a bit difficult. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe it's it's because of my gene, or maybe I, I was like climbing most of the eight thousand meter peak without auctions. So I didn't I didn't have that much feeling. But every year on on Everest, I used to, I took one one bottle because it was necessary uh, for me because I was guiding. Yep. I was not climbing myself. Making it safer. Yeah. So it was it was um, for my client, not for myself. And in 2021, I've, I finally made my mind to climb without auctions. 
but uh, at that uh, that year uh, what uh, good thing was that I, I was like I was climbing Dalagiri in March then I was climbing Kanjong in April and I was climbing uh, Everest in March so it was like three thousand meter peaks in a row so I, I felt like easy to climb Everest with auction but it's still without and with it with auction is bit bit difference you know you don't get tired uh, that easily when you are on auction. Yep. When you when you are without auction, you get tired. Your mouth get uh, like um, swollen, and breathing is not easy. You get all the time cold air. When you are on the max, you have more like warm air. Yep. Mm, right. It's a huge difference. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a huge difference. Lowers the elevation. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, and the Sherpas are the one that carry it up there. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're and they're um, that's kind of a. Yeah, it's, it's a big big deal at the, at the moment for 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 now. Like the younger generation Sherpa, they are raising in the lower places, and they need auction now for like uh, even carrying loads to South Coal, They need auctions. But when we when I started my job, no auction was given to any Sherpa. Yeah, you carry ten bottles to last camp. You carry nine bottles, ten bottles, no auctions. You need to yeah. you need to go on your own. But now now we see like. Sherpa getting like four bottle auction or three bottle auction, and one is uh, one yeah. they are using themselves. At the end, they just they just deposit like two, two. or three bottles yeah. at at South Coal, yeah. and this is this is one of the reason lots of companies co- complain that oh we lost auctions at 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 South Coal or we lost auction at Laskin. Yeah, the fact thing is that they are hiring the, some of some of the like very poor quality of people who cannot even carry, carry like two bottle auctions to South Coal. Or to the last game, and they they put somewhere on the on the way, and they just go back and tell like, oh, we deposited everything there in the campo, and later when the guides, when the yeah. leader and the members go to the go to the camp, yeah. they have to find auctions, and they say like, oh, lost everything, lost everything, it's stolen, <laughs> so many things, you know. That's true. That's a different game up there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Pasang, you've got uh, a business you're launching coming up here. Uh, camp to summit tell us about that okay well after a long journey of my guiding experience i started my uh, profession since 2009 as a turning and uh, actively uh, working in the 8000 meters mountain uh, annapurna one is my starting journey and the sisapangma i climbed to 8000 meters mountains without oxygens with uh, one of the famous climb climbers she's from spain her name is uh, Idorne Pasaban. She is the one of the first women who completed the 48,000 meters in the world. And then after uh, com- start my turning mountaineering career, working and uh, seasonally, I work and during the off season, I spend my money for the mountaineering career. So I came from this way till to climbing and training, climbing and training. And uh, finally, in 2018, I complete my IFMG Mountain Guide course. Then after f- uh, 2018 to till this date, I'm work actively working. And then after I decided to uh, uh, run my camp to company because as of my uh, experience, and uh, there's a loss of the customer are w- asking why you are working for others whole in your life. Now you have to do something and there's a loss of the feedback and I decided to open my camp to summit 
company. We're wishing you um, tremendous success on that and everything else with this. So, yeah, it's been wonderful to catch up. And, um, yeah, it's been great to explore the, the, the challenges of climbing the Himalayas and the contribution mm -hmm. of the Nepali and the Sherpa climbers to high-altitude climbing and on that. Any other ideas or thoughts, wisdom you'd like to share with our audience? Uh, well, so to be a mountaineer or to be a client, to be a guide, is always give the priority and uh, keep your mind at the safety margin. <coughs> Try to, as a client, when you climb in the mountain, always don't depend on your guide. Please be uh, ready yourself from the training, uh, from uh, experience. Then always, when you have uh, enough experience in the mountain, when you have a uh, enough confident in the mountain then after you enjoy a lot in the mountain if you are always depending with the sherpa and you are so struggling on the mountain without uh, like you missing mountain view or there's so many if you are not capable to the mountain you are summiting but you missing so many good things if you are capable and confidence are there you enjoy so many things at the same time yeah and at the end so as a himalayan athlete so i'm very grateful to be here with the mingmaji and uh, with the corner lai i'm so happy and thank you so much devdai and claire thank you so much yeah that's uh that's a good way to uh to bring us in here and so mingmaji it's been great to uh share uh, stories with you from everything from winter k2 to the Imagine Nepal, your your your, your guiding business. Thank you, Doug. <clears throat> and um, yeah, wishing we'll know um, how things go, and you'll probably see Dayungsam over there. She's now. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Let's go, Baini. <laughs> let's go, Baini. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, well, thank you so much, and thanks for listening in, and all of you out there. Big uh, thanks to uh, Claire and Dave at Himali mm. for bringing this to our ears and everyone that's uh, part of this. So rubber side down for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch. And keep it, keep yeah. it safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you.